0: everyone, and welcome back to episode 51 of the Core Consult Rx Podcast. My name is Mike Corvino. With me, as always, Cole Swanson, and we are joined by another guest, two guests in a row, Dr. Hollyberry. Berry. Holly, what's going on? Not
1: much. How are you guys?
2: Doing great. Doing well. I think this is actually three guests in a row because we had oh, that's uh, right,
0: Neha, Dr. Patel. Was, yeah, yeah, that's right. So this is three in a row. Yeah. That people don't have to just listen to us talk. <laughs>
1: guys are on a roll. Yeah,
0: something like
2: that. It's good to get other smarter people it's on true. here. So no people way. don't have to listen to us babble on the whole time.
0: But uh, so Holly is a clinical pharmacist for a lung transplant um, floor. And so she's going to kind of share some of uh, some insights to her career and just kind of her journey through from pharmacy school to where she is now. And, um, you know, I, I kind of getting started. So you finished pharmacy school. What was kind of like your initial first step?
1: So I think I always knew I wanted to do a residency. Um, I actually kind of was a non-traditional pharmacy student. So I'd been out of school for five years and then went back to pharmacy school. Um, So for me, what got me interested in pharmacy was shadowing a clinical pharmacist who worked in the ICU setting. So I kind of came in knowing that I was definitely interested in a residency, um, wanted to be more clinical in that aspect. Um, so, but I did kind of still want to be involved in the community setting. So my first year of pharmacy school, I actually was more involved with the community pharmacy association and shadowing them and finding out more about that route before I went like straight into clinical. So I kind of, I wanted to make sure I explored everything. Um, but, but towards the end of pharmacy school, I was definitely going to do a residency.
2: Did you know you want to do transplant or did you figure you'd yeah. want to do ICU <laughs> or something?
1: No. So I did not know what I wanted to do. I was really interested in ambulatory care. Um, so I was looking for a residency program that was a lot of inpatient as well as outpatient so that I could kind of go into any setting when I was done. I wasn't sure I wanted to do a PGY-2. So I wanted to be just a well-rounded practitioner when I finished residency.
0: Yeah. So um, did you do one or two years of residency?
1: Only one year. I was, when I went into my first year of residency, our program was really good about asking about our career goals and what we were interested in and tailoring the residency to whatever we wanted to do. And I was actually currently interested in oncology at the time. (laughs) I had a background in biology and immunology, so I found a lot of the targeted therapies were really interesting. But I also really liked the patient care aspect with oncology lots of supportive care and counseling and interfacing with the patient. But throughout that journey, I realized that it wasn't so much oncology, but really ambulatory care that was my passion, just being able to. Work with patients to um, tailor their therapy for them and help them understand the treatments that they were receiving and just how to keep them on those therapies. So um, towards the end of my residency, I was more definitely interested in ambulatory care. And I, but I kind of felt like maybe I should do a PGY-2 because you get such specialized training So I did try to get a PGY-2 in oncology, um, but I actually didn't match. And that was the first year that they had the second match. Um, Right. So I went through the second match as well and didn't match then either. So I went into finding a job and actually had a program reach out to me. Um, They saw my, I guess, CV on the ASHP website and you could see people who hadn't matched that year in oncology. So they reached out to me and offered me a job on their inpatient oncology floor. Mm -hmm. So I actually did that for six months and then got recruited into a position for a transplant.
0: (laughs) Wow, really? That's awesome. Yeah, Yeah, that's super cool.
2: That's a good success story of um, somebody who didn't, you know, quote unquote, complete the two years because I have friends who are well into their first year now. And they're like, you know, I don't know if I want to do, you know, a second year, I, th- I think I'll be done after yeah. this. And, um, but they're a little hesitant. Like, can, you know, am I still going to be able to get a job in something, um, non retail with that? Sure. Looks yeah. like, I mean, they reached out to you. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, it was, it, um, a lot of my residency preceptors were very much encouraging me to keep an open mind Um, you never know like what could happen if you go somewhere else and what kind of opportunities you'll get there. So, um, while I was in that position in the oncology position, it was kind of temporary. I was covering another pharmacist who was out. So when that pharmacist came back, they were asking me like, if I want to stay in oncology or if I would consider other openings. And I was at that point, I realized after six months of inpatient that I really needed to be outpatient. I just really craved that patient interaction. And so that they told me they had an opening in their outpatient. Well, it was like a hybrid position. It was half inpatient, half outpatient with mm. transplant. And I kind of panicked because I don't even think I really remember the one lecture we had on it in pharmacy school. <laughs> And I didn't do any rotations um, as a student in transplant. So I shadowed over there for a little bit before I actually accepted the position. Um, but after a day in the clinic, I was like, this is amazing. Just being able to really work with patients and really all of the internal medicine things that you get to apply. So, and then you just mix in some immunology and infectious disease and everything else into it so it was really very challenging environment but I really enjoyed it
0: cool that's awesome so you know that pharmacist comes back and you had already taken their job so that was unfortunate for them (laughs) (laughs) Um, but so uh, were you a little bit bummed like when the person was coming back like did you really enjoy oncology
1: Um, it was, I think there's different, there's different types of oncology and this was more solid, Mm -hmm. I guess is how they, um, referred to it. I was able to help out a little bit on the BMT floor, but, um, it was, I like oncology again, I guess, of those aspects of targeted cell therapy and chemotherapy and the monitoring of side effects. But it definitely, I think my just passion overall was um, that patient interaction. And I didn't get that a lot on the inpatient oncology floor. It was a lot of, you did round with the team and that's great. But you didn't really get to interface with the patient as much. So that was really my motivation for moving into like an outpatient setting.
2: Yeah, that was kind of the vibe I got generally from Uh, hospital clinical pharmacy usually you're just not going to get as much one-on-one patient interaction as is outpatient clinics
1: yeah so it was just when I moved into the transplant role um, it was just a better fit for me because I really like talking to patients and helping them understand the treatments that they're on and then also helping them to manage side effects so that they can stay on those treatments and overall it's just been more fulfilling for me
0: cool so, you know, and, and you and I went to school together and graduated and, um, from the same spot. So we kind of heard a lot of the same the same, uh, I guess, rhetoric, if you will, um, which, you know, and I love MUSC, but um, we heard a lot of uh, very cookie cutter um, you know ways of going about getting certain careers and things like that and i think there's definitely some validity to that um and they've definitely done a good job of thinking about outside of the box as of late and i know dean hall is doing a great job with that now um but uh you know for those students and from any university who who kind of have this idea of like if i want to do this i have to do this, 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 and this, um, this exact way. There's no way I'll ever have that job. I I like that you were, you had like four different careers (laughs) and the amount of time that most people are finishing their training. So, um, you know, what, what was, have you always been just like, you think it's just your overall, um, confidence in yourself that you'll be able to learn the, the new information, the new pharmacotherapy aspects of that area? Or, um, or do you just like the challenge? What's been kind of your driving factor? (laughs)
1: Um, that's a really good question I think for me I was really motivated to be in an outpatient setting so when that position came open and I shouted over there and I was like this is it this feels right this is definitely like where I'm gonna thrive and this makes me happy so quality of life is really important Um, so then I was like well can I learn this information and I feel like you know, if you have the motivation to learn that area, you can. Um, It's going to take you a little bit longer because you also have your day-to-day work activities you have to get done. But, you know, just I think that's why they always say like one year of residency is equivalent to like three years of experience because you spend so much time just like learning all these jobs and information. So when you're on the job, you're in charge of managing your time. So it just takes a little bit longer, but you can learn it.
0: Yeah, I like that, too, because I've I've joked uh, a lot since I graduated because I didn't do a residency. And so and now that like, especially now that I have like my BCPS and all that, people assume that I did. And so when I tell them I didn't, they're like, well, how does that work? As like, I just did a self-taught residency and, th- <laughs> yeah. you know, it, which is obviously not the same and completely a joke. But um, like what you said, as far as I just kind of looked at it as, OK, no one's going to tell me what I need to study, what I need to learn. So the shadowing opportunities, like things like that, are something I'm going to have to do on my own. I think that's, I think that's super important. And it's awesome to see you doing that in multiple, very difficult fields. You know, it'd be one, it'd be one thing if you were, you know, going from hypertension to diabetes, you know, because you have, you know, something like that, that we do a lot with in school and you get a lot of experience on the rotations, but oncology and transplant. I mean, those are two pretty brutal careers and Gosh. you're just like, yeah, just give it a shot and go for it. <laughs> I, yeah, like, I like I that. I'm, that's awesome.
1: i I think I'm a lot like, I think you may have mentioned this once before on one episode of your podcast about being a glutton for punishment. I think <laughs> that's probably like where I'm at. It's just every, every day is something new. Um, there's something more to read. There's something more to learn. And, but And whenever I used to, I feel like when I was in pharmacy school, I would get really frustrated by that. And then one day someone told me, well, that's what I really like about this career is there's always something to learn. And once I put that into perspective, I was like, well, that's true. It could be the other way around. I could be really bored every day.
2: Yeah, (laughs) I was going to say, because, you know, pharmacists generally, they have to know a little about a lot, but, you know, being a specialist. (laughs) So, so even within that, there's still new information constantly and, um, you're you're always having to learn it's not like oh i know what i need to know and i've pretty much yeah. got it you know it's there's still stuff every day you're reading and keeping up
1: every day i mean i feel like even if i had have done a transplant residency which trust me i do there are days i'm like i really wish i had done a transplant <laughs> residency um but even if i had of you there's no way to learn everything in one year
0: yeah so you know like when you were actually in school Did, uh... Were, were you kind of always trying to learn different stuff or were you like the type A, like only, you know, focusing on, cause I mean, we, we didn't really hang out too much in pharmacy school. I and mean, I was a terrible student myself in pharmacy school <laughs> to be brutally honest. And I joked about that as well, but I just, I was definitely uh, not the average typical student. I didn't want to go to class and, you know, I was much, <laughs> much preferred watching the lectures at home and just did the things you're not supposed to do in pharmacy school. So, um, and I, my mind really started when I got on rotation and all that, that, I've got to do, I'm very much a kinetic learner. But do you feel <laughs> like for you, like, were you, did you enjoy the didactic portion of school? Or are you more like, you like to learn, but on your terms?
1: I really thought about, I've actually thought about this a lot, because the way that I feel like our generation was taught to learn was very much like writing. So I found the, um, you know, I guess, I found pharmacy school very challenging as an adult learner because I would like to write everything out and make charts and tables and things, and I, it was just so time-consuming. Um, but I had, when I was an undergrad, I had really good advice from someone who said, 90% of what you do with your career is going to be more about the relationships you build with people and how you communicate and 10% what you know. So when I went back to school um, for a professional degree, I was really, really going to motivate myself and challenge myself to be more involved, um, with like clubs and organizations because that was something I didn't do in undergrad. And I felt like I really wanted to build that aspect of my, I guess, wife or career. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I went, when I was in pharmacy school, I really hit the ground running that first year and joined a lot of organizations to really find out the professional aspect of pharmacy school. Um, So I guess in that way, it did kind of hurt me, um, the knowledge side, because um, I definitely felt, especially third year, I felt like really overwhelmed with the commitments I had made to other organizations and was really struggling. I felt like I did okay in pharmacy school as far as like tests and everything, but when I got to the actual rotations, I felt a little behind.
0: Gotcha. So what would you, have, if you could go back in time, what would you tell your former self in school? What would you have done differently?
1: Figuring out that gap between appla- like, learning and applying critically is such a huge um, part. I really wish I had been able to take away the... I, anxiety I had about being right or knowing the information and really being able to step back and just figuring out like how to critically apply the information I had
3: learned. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. Like feeling less pressure about grades and having more interest in just learning and um, obtaining (laughs) the knowledge that you need to be a good pharmacist. Right.
1: Yeah. And I think that's what I mean, I, one of my rotations was family medicine at MUSC and I really, really enjoyed that rotation. It was a lot of diabetes education and counseling. Um, and that was really the rotation that hit it home for me that, like, you can take what you've learned and really apply it and then actually see something come of it, especially when you counsel someone and you see the light bulb come on. Like, that's just the best feeling. Yeah,
0: yeah absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I like that too that you said that it's more important to kind of take the information and be able to use it clinically or critically think through the situations um, because I feel like there's, there's this like weird um, just uh, drive that students have in general to, to just want to memorize all the stuff so they can crush this test, um, and I, I always joke with my, my PA students now um, and I probably shouldn't even, you know, joke with this as being the guy teaching the class. But, you know, they'll be like, well, is that, uh, you know, what if I need to know this or what should I focus on more? I'm like, just focus on all of it. You got to know all of it. Like, like, I'm, <laughs> I, w- I would rather you get a C on this test and then crush it on rotations than you ace every single test, get on rotations and feel like you don't know anything because you just memorized and regurgitated a bunch of stuff. So and I, then
2: they're all like, oh, that is the worst response <laughs> you know, as a student, you know, because me, I was I was similar because I wanted everything to be black and white, but everything yeah. isn't black and white and patients are yeah. different. So no matter if you know the guidelines or even know the trials, it's not always going to fit. Um, so, yeah, right. hated when professor said that, but it is true. It's it's the hard truth.
0: And I, I was and from, I think, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, I
1: think that. I like how you always say treat the patient and not the numbers because Mm -hmm. it's very true. Like you can read every guideline and kind of have an idea of what you should do, but you have to see what's going to work for that patient.
2: Right. But you can't just ignore the guidelines and then just kind of do what you want. (laughs) But, um, you know, you need to know them and then you apply that to real people.
0: Yeah. Right. I I like uh, I always talk to my the students that are precept and whatnot too, about, um, knowing the why behind everything. So like, yeah. we'll even break out like the whole biochem textbook if we need to, and like go back through some of like the <laughs> oh l- you know, little nitty gritty stuff, just because I, I'm a big believer in like being able to, to think through the entire process critically to be able to apply it. And, and so, you know, the big scope of things of the guidelines and what you generally should do, but to make it patient specific, I feel like you really need to know that, have that deeper understanding, um, that's something that like, like, you know, Dr. Wayne Wert, that I'm sh- you know, you're very familiar with, um, yes. you know, that was something after school that I kind of was spending a lot of time with him and realized that that was the difference between him and a lot of other people that I had seen was his ability to like, just go so much deeper in the, in the into the question or the. The clinical problem and, and solve it from like a very basic science standpoint all the way out and I was like wow that's, that's next level that's that's what I want to get to.
2: So basically Mike likes I, to torture his students by going all the way <laughs> back to biochem
0: yeah it's a it's a, mis- think- it's a miserable way to spend a month.
1: <laughs> I ended up I had to do bar and grill with um, oh, yeah. at MUSC mm-hmm. twice because I had two care rotations and they were both at MUSC uh-huh. so I ended up having to do it twice but I wrote down every single trial that he talked about, every single outcome, and I wish that I had been, I wish I had been more clued in to like evidence-based medicine, I guess. I didn't, I feel like it was so hard to remember trials and I spent so much time just like memorizing them that I didn't really understand like how important they are for like taking it all together Mm -hmm. and getting like an idea of how to apply it to patients.
2: Right, and that's what I've realized with getting more involved in evidence-based medicine. I mean, you can sit there and look at a spreadsheet of 40 trials and just try to read them and read the results and learn them, but it's really not until you have a patient where you have to make a clinical decision and you use that to force your hand one way or the other, that's when you really remember it.
1: And I think that was where like oncology really helped with that for me, because a lot of the therapies that they use, they get them from the trials that they did. Right. it was really kind of like that, well, residency and oncology was like the part where trials really, we really drove them home yeah. and applying them to patients.
0: And for those of you listening and you're like, what is bar and grill? <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was something that uh, that Dr. Wayne Wirt had started, I think, almost 40 years ago. Um, was it really that long? Yeah. No way. <laughs> At least 30, I want to say. I want to say it's closer to 40, but... Um, you know, where he would uh, basically take some students that were doing ambulatory care rotations um they originally they would go to an actual like place to eat and, or a bar or whatever you know um, get some food and then they would present a patient case and then he would grill them on why they made all the recommendations um <laughs> now uh because he's technically retired and he just does it for fun uh it's just the grill part no no mm. no bar so <laughs> yeah,
1: just,
0: just <laughs> uh, now it's not nearly as fun but, i was
2: i was even talking to an intern just a few days ago and they were saying oh yeah we got our rotation schedule and I have so-and-so rotation so-and-so's rotation I'm like oh yeah that's good it's tough she's like well the really the only thing I'm worried about is bar and grill I'm like yeah you got to (laughs) prepare the first
1: time the first time I was really nervous I was like what do we do Mm -hmm. like no one's gonna know as much as Dr. Wirt knows like there's no way but then the second time since I had already gone through it I was like no you guys this is the best thing ever (laughs) there's so many trials that we go over so I still look back. I still have that notebook with all those things written
0: down. So yeah, that's that you could I'll probably sell that it. for some money yeah. I bet <laughs> make some copies.
1: Pharmacy student at Musd. Yeah
0: <laughs> I, I literally, I've been going to Bar and Girl for the last four years with him and I try to go every month and um, awesome. like literally like I've learned something new every, I've heard and now you know I've heard this a lot of the same stuff. So many times that it's like second nature just for because I've heard him repeat it so much, but there's still something every single time that I go that I'm like, oh shoot, I never heard that before. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's crazy, like, That's I've, I've, I've learned more from those couple sessions a month, like, like put together than I think everything else I've done and educating myself <laughs> in the last several years. It's crazy. So,
2: I guess the point of that is that anybody listening really doesn't even have to be pharmacy you can implement something similar with your students. You just basically have to be the smartest guy in the room and you can do it. So, you know,
1: yeah, Yeah, no big deal. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Life goals.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, that was like another thing that, um, maybe I think it was residency when someone said, you have to hear something or read something like seven times before your brain can commit it to memory. And I was I would say, I mean, like most pharmacy students, I feel like we're all pretty hard on ourselves. So in residency, I'd be like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I I didn't remember that or something. And I would just constantly repeat that to myself because you really do have to hear things several times or Mm -hmm. at least like look it up a few times. And then you're like, okay. Now I can remember this.
2: Yeah, either that, or you just have some really specific event that helps you remember. But if it's just information, yeah. <laughs> yeah, got it multiple times.
1: See, like I'm actually the opposite. Everyone was always like, "Oh, if I get it wrong or I do really bad, and then I'll remember it forever." No, I think I like blacked <laughs> those things out, <laughs> and it was like traumatic, so right. I don't remember it. I'm PTSD, like, okay, I'm from getting, again.
0: <laughs> PTSD from getting pimped on
2: rotation.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, oh, I don't remember that.
3: <laughs>
0: I think mine comes from I know I learn better from actually like either doing it like, you know, in real life with a patient or teaching it to the student. That's what like one of the things that's helped me out a lot is because I'm very competitive as far as within my own self, not being able to fulfill my role, especially like as a preceptor. Yeah. If students are asking me these questions, I'm like, mm, I don't know. And then I'm just like, what a failure. You don't deserve to sleep no. tonight. you got to go home and read all night. But that's motivated me to keep learning because I always want to stay ahead so that I didn't become one of those preceptors. It's like, oh, I just need my students to come on rotation so I can actually learn some stuff. <laughs> so that's, yeah,
1: precepting has really been a, um, an area that I didn't think I, cause I don't because I don't know why. I wasn't sure I was going to like it or I guess because I was thinking of, like, how I, I may have been on rotation or um, – You know, it's like, I'm not sure if I'm, how I'm going to do this, but it's actually been one of the most rewarding parts of being a pharmacist. I feel like, um, especially because I've kind of taken the approach of when a student's on rotation with me, that we'll learn together. Mm -hmm. So if I don't know something and, you know, they're asking me a question and I'll be like, you know what, I don't know, but let's look it up together and come back and talk about it like later this afternoon or tomorrow, and that way, we both provide. We can both provide like input into the things that we found. And
2: the students like, way. oh, I shouldn't have even asked. <laughs> Just <laughs> got <laughs> homework. <laughs> I know.
1: No, I'm probably the least intimidating preceptor. <laughs> I'm probably, I'm probably like you guys. Like I'm very laid back. Um, you know, I feel like. I don't Mike want, was terrifying. I,
2: know. I, I had him as a preceptor. <laughs> yeah, Cole. Cole did he really? Yeah, yeah Cole was my student at one point. Yeah, yeah. that's
1: hilarious. Was it? it wasn't what your was first that? rotation?
2: Was it? No, Mike was my very first rotation, fourth year. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, that's why he's sitting here because, like, of all because I've precepted the last three, four years. Yeah, I'm years. still here
2: because you can't say no to a preceptor. Well,
0: so no, like, right. I, I mean, like, I, I had a lot of students, especially when I like was gotten rolling with the core consult stuff that a lot of students were like oh i want to help i want to do this and i've had a lot of them give you know little bits of input and help here and there and um lots of them have done you know various things for like the month that they were on rotation with me or whatever but just like normal i mean life you know continues on and like all these commitments come up and you just know where you're going to keep on doing something like this Cole, we, we would work like a 15-hour shift, um, and then Cole would be texting me like an hour later about, like, hey, so you think we should work on uh, blah, blah, blah? I was like, all right, this kid's got it. Like, I, I like this guy. <laughs> and so, yeah, when, we, we, when he actually was done with my rotation and kind of off, he still kept, like, asking about helping and stuff. And he's, like, one of the first people that ever did that. So I was like, all right, this guy works Aww. really hard. So when we time for voice podcast picking time, I was, he was like, like okay, yo.
2: dude, listen, I've got these really nice mics, so uh, I, we need to start talking into them. It's
0: going to take up a ton of your time. <laughs>
1: Gosh, those mics are really nice. You guys are very legit.
2: Yeah, we, we, try. we like them. We, we, we take care of them.
0: We we made the whole investment of, like, we wanted the audio quality to be as good as we could. And we didn't want it to be like, oh, well, we'll make it better once we get, you know, further along. We were just like, nah, it is what it is. Let's just let's just roll the dice and, you know, make, place a bet that this will hope turn that, into hope something. Hope that a
2: year later we're on episode 51 and yeah. still, still talking. <laughs> still going. And people still listen that's for some what, reason.
1: You know, I mean, that's what I really like about your podcast is, I think, especially for healthcare providers, we're always looking for ways to get information even when we're on the go. And when I was younger, my mom would always play the news on the radio, like mm-hmm. in the mornings when we were getting ready. And that was how I always knew like what was going on in the world. And now <laughs> that radio is like obsolete. I right. have to really search out that information, but I will play podcasts in the morning when I'm getting ready. And um you know that's what i really like about your podcast it's such an easy relaxed way to like get information um and then i hear people from pharmacy school on it i'm like hey i know these people so, but it's really i mean your podcast is a really great idea
0: no I mean, it, we definitely appreciate it and appreciate and we love compliments on live on
2: the podcast yeah
0: <laughs> i think this is actually the first one it yeah, might had be live. so yeah 51 okay. episodes we appreciate Sweet. it we
2: finally did it finally we're good enough to get that a live was compliment
1: so excited for you because I mean, we just we have to continue like to be innovative with our role and figuring out how to educate is part of what you know I think pharmacists are pretty integral with with the healthcare team so i think it's awesome and you
0: know i think ultimately we would like to keep doing this and stuff but my big thing is i and i push other people to to do the same thing because i feel like there's so many clinicians out there who are a thousand times smarter than I am and Cole and, you know, maybe not going to want to speak for Cole, but definitely smarter than I I am. (laughs) So, you know, I'm like, I want other clinicians to start doing this kind of thing because students would, benefits so my if i if there was like a leading you know uh cardiologist that did like i just a very relaxed podcast version like this and they're they're out there um you know i'm going be listening to every single episode because i don't want to hear a lecture okay. i don't want to hear you know something that i would normally hear any other time i'm learning i want it just a relaxed kind of atmosphere but still get good information i think podcasts are kind of perfect for that
2: yeah we encourage competition yeah,
0: yeah no 100 percent. like i want i, I want them to because I, I feel like it's like the future of learning and i want more people to kind of start getting involved and in doing it and it just kind of takes some you know some time to get going but it's fun well, yeah. it's fun
1: i've um though so there's one episode when you guys were talking about like the apps on your phone for pharmacy and mm-hmm. i think i downloaded like all of them because <laughs> i didn't have a lot of those um but the one that tells you like formulary yeah. or medications that is super helpful. Yeah. I use it a lot. Yeah, <laughs> there you I've, go. I haven't been in retail in a really long time so I don't know a lot about insurance <laughs> and you know, what is covered under different plans now. So, but I get that question all the time. Will this be covered under their plan? And I'm like, I have no idea. I'm going to have to call the pharmacy and ask them to run a prescription.
2: Or call the Dagum Insurance and sit on the phone for 30 minutes.
1: Yeah, no, no one's got time for that.
2: Seriously.
0: (laughs) Yeah, The uh, you actually showed me that uh, app was uh, Scott Bragg. I knew you were
1: gonna say that. <laughs>
0: yeah, he uh, when he showed me that when I was a student still, and um, he's impatient. So for him, he was the same thing. Like, you know, he he never could. Uh, get the exact price without calling or something like that. So he found that app and yeah, he uses it all the time. I use it all the time as well at the clinic that I'm at now um, because some, we don't the pharmacy at the clinic doesn't always fill the patient's prescription. So I'll run test claims through the app to see, you know, if we send them out, That's if it's awesome. actually going to get covered. Yeah, I, I like that one a lot. Yeah. I,
1: knew, I knew you were going to say Scott Bragg because one of my best friends is a family medicine resident at Trident. Oh, really? So oh, yeah. She, yeah, so she sees him a lot and she said... One day she sent me um, screenshots of his cell phone because they had all taken pictures of his <laughs> cell phone and all the apps. And she was like, I'm going to copy all of these, but I thought you should have them too. And so she <laughs> sent me screenshots of his cell phone and all the apps.
0: That's I was like, funny. that's
1: amazing.
0: That's hilarious. Yeah, he, he's he's a good guy. He keeps up with the information like no other.
1: <laughs> I know. Him and Dr. were just like brain children of evidence.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah it's crazy. Oh, yeah. But um, kind of like, since we've been, kind of brought this up and we'll go back to like your, you know, transplant, you know, pharmacotherapy and all that stuff in just a second. But where do you think, like you, like you said earlier, the way we were taught how to learn and stuff was very like, you know, old school. Let's just write it down a thousand times and, you know, <laughs> rinse and repeat. But how do you feel like things are shifting with technology and stuff like that? Just kind of like in your opinion, where do you see things going in the medical world for education?
1: I've- Have you? I mean, I think it shifted a lot. I mean, I think now it's just more we multitask so fast and we want, I think, immediate answers right away. So I think that has what has probably changed the most. Um, I think especially maybe drug information pharmacists would probably be able to answer this really well because it used to be that you could call and ask a drug info question and you could take a while to like get that answer back to them because you have to look it up through books or something like that. But now they pretty much expect an answer by like the end of the day.
2: Yeah. If Um, not like in the next 10 minutes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's been like the hardest part, especially for me where I don't have a ton of like strong knowledge base in transplants. So I need to like really read those trials and stuff and get them down, but I have to have an answer right away. So it's always kind of like, can I get back to you? But it's, you know, Um, I think it's just more maybe immediate information, but the way that we multitask is maybe a little bit more efficient.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I'm not really sure if I have the answer. I just know that for me, I think that's why I would have never made like a really good ICU pharmacist or a trauma or ED pharmacist because I take a while to process information and I don't think as fast on my feet in um, those that, like quick settings
2: yeah as far as multitasking goes if i'm brushing my teeth and there's not a podcast playing then i feel like i'm just <laughs> wasting my time
0: yeah it's true i'm the same way i listen to stuff every single morning when i'm getting ready and whatnot
1: yeah and i think that's probably like my brain has shifted in that direction like i'm always think needing to be like thinking about something um so i don't know if that's where the direction it's headed or if, um you know, it's just because I have to like. I'm always thinking about something. <laughs> if that's just like a quality trait, or if it's just the way I've adapted to the way things are now, I have no idea.
0: Yeah, I, I really think that more universities and things you get on board with um, if not a podcast like I mean could you imagine like if if uh dr Wir had uh, bar and girl live on YouTube like every month like how many people would watch it like, oh my gosh it'd be it'd be awesome
2: well it'd be like a reality yeah. TV show because you know they would have to put really dramatic music behind it like when he asks the question and then you, you see all the you see all the students like looking at sweating. each other and they're sweating and they're <laughs> nervous and I mean you know talk about taking it to I a whole say- new level put a camera in front of them while they're trying yeah. to do bar and girl
1: <laughs> yeah Yeah, no, this is like way, I didn't know what to expect with, um, I've never done a podcast before, (sighs) but this is a little bit more intimidating than just a regular interview. I don't know why, maybe because it's going to be like immortalized in video and in sound. But it's definitely more intimidating than just a regular like phone interview. Yeah, and,
2: and you can take solace in the fact that we don't edit anything, so whatever whatever dumb thing you say, it's it's there forever. It's there's out there. There's no changing yeah. it.
0: <laughs> We've said so many so dumb things. So many dumb things. Dumb things. <laughs> Uh, no worries. We, much there's no way you could catch us in the amount of dumb things we said. Non-stop foolery. Yeah, I'm actually surprised we haven't gotten called out more.
2: Yeah, people <laughs> are very forgiving not, at are. this point. You know, at this point, eventually <laughs> it'll change. As as the following has grown, you see, you know, you see a little bit of it. But as we as we get bigger, then um, yeah, I think we'll
0: get called like, out on our nonsense.
1: More, like critique on your.
0: trials or haters yeah we'll get a couple of those every once in a while they're just like you know nah these guys don't really know what they're talking about so yeah yeah, okay cool um i've had a few people uh, well usually
2: it's like it's like polite corrections that's usually what it is and and usually people they have a good argument towards whatever the correction is which is fine no big deal
0: um i did uh i got um i was searching through reddit just kind of looking for our you know core console RX just to see if it would pop up in Reddit at all, um, and I th- there it. was one that was there were several of them that had us listed as like one of the podcasts people were recommending, and then we got to, I got to one it was like they recommended one podcast that had to do with medicine and they're like in core console like they're okay, <laughs> what <laughs> which I thought was hilarious.
3: <laughs> hey,
0: but, uh, was
1: all uh, you, feedback or whatever you, like any comments is advertising so. yeah, yeah
0: there you go I, I put it on instagram actually and had a like had our first the first one that said they're great and then i had the next one they came <laughs> up and it said they're okay and i just said i just had like a big thing that says mixed reviews <laughs> 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 so.
1: i like all the things that you guys have on instagram too like i save all of your little charts and things like that yeah. and I have a folder, you know, because I'm super type A pharmacist organized. I have a folder for pharmacy information. So I just save those and put them in there. So there you go. I think they're helpful.
0: Instagram is actually one of the tools that I feel like so there's you'll see Twitter used like some healthcare professionals are like all right LinkedIn obviously maybe Twitter's like finally okay but like nobody no students that are in their early 20s are on Twitter anymore and so like Instagram is more what I spent my time doing because I wanted to interact with students and you know put out stuff that they could use Um, Instagram by far has way 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 more interactions than anything else that we do with core console it's crazy. Like, I mean, there was one uh, last week, I think, like, you know, impressions, which, you know, just like people interacting in some shape or form, you know, with your page, Uh, it was like 150,000 interactions in a week. And, oh. uh, you know, which, you know, some take it or leave it as far as what that actually means. But, um, you know, it's a lot of, I was it, more than I had when I started, which was like three. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it was, uh, it's just crazy how many people actually like view your stuff. And well, I did a video yeah. on Spiriva just showing you how to use the, the old hand yeah. healer. Um, it got like <laughs> 20,000 views in a couple of days. I was like, what in the world? Who's did watching you? this stuff? <laughs>
1: <laughs> you never know.
0: Yeah. You never know. So it was I cool.
1: used, um... I think you had one, I think on COPD different, I was, I'm like really not very strong on the, in all the different inhalers now because they've like exploded since mm-hmm. we were in pharmacy school. Um, but I was trying, I was studying for the board exam and I remember I saved that one that you had on there. Cause I was like, I'm going to need this to <laughs> for the exam.
0: That's funny. Um, so, kind of going back uh, to your stuff. Now we've been talking about our own podcast yeah, now for too did, long. We Sorry. did a
2: nice ten-minute advertising. <laughs> yeah, well, we don't. Ourselves. Just remember, people, this is free. Yeah. You're not paying for this, <laughs> so there's no ads or anything. Yeah, so we I really did...
1: came on your podcast so I could interview you right, about yeah. your podcast.
2: Yeah. Secretly, we had this all planned beforehand. They just don't know. <laughs> Nobody knows.
0: Yeah, we uh, we normally don't talk about ourselves this much. <laughs> this much. <laughs> but, But, um, so, you know, kind of going back to what you do now, um, what's, what's been like one of the most challenging aspects of lung transplant for you?
1: Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, so my previous position was abdominal. So, I mean, Mm. every, everyone kept saying, um, well, the whole motivation really for like wanting to take this position was it was a hundred percent outpatient, which was what I was ready to kind of transition to. I was doing abdominal before and which was really cool because you learn a lot on the inpatient side when you round with the team there's a lot of education going on so I had that part but then you also get to follow the patient through all the different phases of transplant care so you see them before transplant then you see them actually in the hospital after the surgery and then you help them go home and then you see them outpatient in clinic but I was really ready to be just 100% outpatient. Um, I also wanted to return closer to home. So this position was closer to where I'm from home, or where my hometown is. <laughs> so I wanted, um, that was kind of another reason for leaving that position I was in before. So, but then I was really nervous about thoracic transplant because it's just a whole different. Um, Even though it's transplanted, it's just a different environment. Um, There's more infections, and I'm not very strong in infectious diseases. Um, And there's just different immunosuppression induction agents that they'll use. So I really had to just relearn a lot of things. It's the same medications that they use um, for maintenance immunosuppression, but it's just different a whole different set of comorbidities that you have to think about that I didn't have to do in abdominal. So in some ways I feel like I'm re- like I'm starting all over again. So every day I'm kind of like, Oh man, I have to go back and read that again. Or, um, so it's just a very challenging environment. Um, also, so I think the most challenging thing is just anytime you start a new job, you have to give yourself at least a year before you even feel like you know what you're doing. (laughs) Even if you do like a transplant residency or any specialty residency, the job is still like you're working with different personalities. You have to figure out how to use that um, electronic medical record that they have at that hospital. Mm -hmm. Um, You have to figure out you know, what people can like really give you insight into your role that maybe, you know, you have to learn how to ask the right questions. So, I mean, just anytime you change jobs, that is very challenging. I mean, you just have to give yourself some time.
2: Right. So what's on, um, what's on the horizon with lung transplants? Is the landscape changed much in the last year or two? Is there anything in the pipeline or they kind of figured it out? We know how to switch out lungs and, you know, it's just matter doing it. (laughs)
1: i think um i mean i don't know i'm still (laughs) i think i'm still learning what they do because now so that was like another thing with this position and since i don't i haven't really i don't do any of the inpatient side of it i'm kind of learning like the surgical approach that they use and um the different you know like you can just do one lobe versus two um or you can do you know, like a part of a lobe or you can do like all, you know, both lungs. So I think what they're, they do a lot of um, cystic fibrosis where I'm at transplants. And so I think they're kind of focusing on more about how to optimize, um, that patient population and really focusing on excelling in that area. Right. So I think like, um, It's not very common to have lung transplant at every center, even if they do transplant, because it's just such a complicated um, process. It's very involved with different specialties. So you have to have, like, you have to make sure you have everything there. Um, Also, lots of communication and collaboration.
0: Right. Exactly. Cool. What's been. I'm not
1: sure if I even know what is coming down the pipeline. (laughs)
0: How is your interaction with, like, the surgeons and, you know, the physicians, other other members of the healthcare team at, at your particular hospital?
1: So at, um, I would say that I don't, like, previously I was really involved with the surgery team, and I think that's more because of the inpatient side. I think the surgery team is really just focused on, you know, actually doing the surgery and then having, getting that patient out of the hospital and they're not always as involved in the post-operative care. I mean, once they're out of like a certain window, then it's really the medicine team that takes over management. And a lot of times the patients will use that um, medicine, pul- well, in this situation, it's the pulmonologist as their primary care provider. Mm-hmm. So that's why we end up doing, I most of the questions I get are about diabetes and cholesterol mm. um and blood pressure and insomnia and anxiety. So I mean, I get all of the internal medicine questions and then I have to kind of like take those guidelines and try to apply them to transplant. Um so it's just a different I would say with this once you're just all out and it's more medicine and you don't really interact as much with the surgeons. Um but I kind of like I like working with surgeons. I was actually um, a scrub tech for a little bit oh, for emergency school, school in the OR. So I really, yeah. <laughs> so that um, I kind of like understand that dynamic where they are really focused on doing the one thing that they do really really well, and they really rely on other members of their teams to handle the other things. Which I think would be good if we did that across the board in healthcare. Right. Sometimes it. I see, it just seems like it's getting so complicated now that you can't rely on one person to do everything.
0: Yeah, for sure. So when you're, when you're working in the clinic, um, are you just seeing patients all day long or are you involved with the medication dispensing at all anymore? Or are you just seeing patients like a, a appointments?
1: So the role is actually kind of, I can do, I'm in a position where I'm able to kind of change this role and make it whatever I want to make it. Um, But before it was kind of just, there were visits scheduled with the pharmacist, but if you had any recommendations that you want to make to therapy or alter in any way, you would have to try to track the physician down. And that doesn't always work out so well, especially when a physician is maybe rounding in the morning and then seeing patients in the afternoon. And if you see that patient at 9 a.m., you may not be able to get that information to the physician by 3 p.m., So with this role, I'm actually trying to redesign it and have it where the pharmacist sees the patient before the physician and is just able to, like, roll the recommendations for altering or maximizing therapy into the visit with the physician. Um, That can be a little challenging just because of patient volume. So I kind of have to figure out the patients who need that from a pharmacist. So usually the acutely discharged patients are the ones I'm focusing on. But if their nurse coordinator recognizes that the patient needs a little more education, like further out, or they're having some issues with medications, then they'll loop me back in. So if they're like uncontrolled diabetes or things like that, they'll have them set up a visit with the pharmacist. So the nurses are kind of identifying those other places that I can loop into, but hopefully in a year, this role will look a little different.
0: Is there any talk at all about a collaborative practice agreement to where you could prescribe underneath the physicians kind of like overarching okay?
1: Yeah, so almost all of the clinics um, at this facility have those um, with other pharmacists. So there is definitely the ability to have that in this clinic. Um, I can still prescribe right now. I just have to have like a cosign on the signature so if I need to send something for a patient right away and I can't, um, you know, have the physician right there, I can send it and have the physician co-sign on it. But the, the um, prescription will still go to the pharmacy. It's just so that the physicians notified that I sent that prescription under their name.
0: Gotcha. That's cool. Yeah, that's uh, the collaborative practice thing, I think, is something that's going to definitely I mean, it's already happening in clinics and things like that. And that's kind of what we're establishing it where I'm at now too. Um but uh it's I think that's definitely where the future of pharmacy is is going. Either that or um you know they'll have to teach more diagnostic training during the pharmacy school process and then before they actually gave us prescribing rights, but um, I think that the collaboration thing is definitely going to uh really take off in the next few years more even more so than it already has.
1: I think the thing that has been like the most challenging with being fully outpatient is a lot of, I think that role hasn't, even though ambulatory care has been around for a very long time, it was one of the first board pharmacy specialties, like within pharmacy. Um, it still seems a little wild, wild less, like we don't really know what to do with you. <laughs> you know, we know that you yeah. know a lot and you can help us choose like. Um, treatments and therapy plans but we're still not really sure like how to work you into the clinic the clinic flow like you kind of act like a mid-level but you're not like how do we how can we like fit you in so it's really and I always advocate for I'm just one person and you know, sometimes I like to go on vacation or take some time away from work so what would happen if I'm not here that's kind of like the thing I always have to think about is like, I want to start these services or do these things, but what will happen? Like if I'm not here for like a week or two, will there, will that care still be able to be provided to the patient, you know, whether it's just scheduling their visits out further or having someone else there, but really having to think more about the services that we provide and making sure that they're sustainable, even if we weren't actually there.
0: Right. Yeah, I definitely think uh, proof of concept is still, especially in smaller areas, smaller clinics, um, is still really important to show because I feel like they can run without pharmacy. So like proving that we actually benefit, you know, the the teams and, you know, whether it's ambulatory care or whatever it is um, outside of just like a big teaching hospital or something, um, I think is definitely definitely, uh, in the right, going in the right direction, but something that, uh, we still have a lot of work to do.
2: And I think generally you would ha- you'd be hard pressed to find anyone who wouldn't say, Oh sure. I'd like to have a pharmacist around as a resource, but do I yeah. want to pay them a pharmacist salary to be here? That's, you know, so how are you going to, how are you going to make this clinic money and, and earn your salary? That's really the main, the main concern. Right.
1: Yeah. That's, and that's something that, you know, our clinics are looking at too, is, For a while, I think they were kind of looking at that reimbursement model, but now they're thinking, well, we charge a fee for when a pharmacist or sorry, when a patient sees a nurse and the nurse does like a vaccine or something. But what if we charge them to see the pharmacist? That's just kind of like a facility charge, and we can charge that at a higher level because it's a higher acuity or a higher skill set. Right. So they're looking into like that model.
2: And the whole provider status thing plays a big part in that with CMS because once we have that right. um, on a federal level, we'll be able to... Um or I guess the clinics will be able to bill for us more readily than having you know than having to more or less finagle something. You know, it'll be like, Okay, you're seeing a pharmacist, we're billing for that. And you know right. so it'll be a little little more simple once right. that happens.
0: So
1: yeah. I mean it's an exciting time to be in that area.
0: Yeah, yeah I agree. It is. It's also very frustrating sometimes too though. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Yes,
1: no, it is
0: very frustrating so the um you know kind of uh looking at overall what you've done the last few years um what kind of advice would you have for students kind of coming up and and would you encourage people to kind of do you know go your path or what kind of advice would you have to pass along to the up-and-comers
1: i think that self-awareness is huge and i think it's what well, oh, I think inadvertently or maybe not so inadvertently is what people are looking for in a student is do they know what will make them happy or how they learn best? I remember I got that question a lot. Is how do you like to learn? So having a sense of self-awareness to know like what will work for you and what may not suit you best is going to be really important going into residency and then you are not going into residency, just going into your career. Because you have the opportunity to make any job work for you and suit you if you know what will, like, how things benefit you or how you can turn it into something that will benefit you or suit you.
0: Yeah. Cool. Absolutely. So I heard there's a new uh, board certification coming out for transplant, um, (laughs) apparently, like, in the next year or so. Are you going to jump on that? (laughs)
1: Um, I don't know. I definitely think it would like I get the whole money making scheme of it, but <laughs> it's exactly what it, the
2: other uh, transplant pharmacist.
1: <laughs> I think. Yeah, no, I think um, I but sometimes like you're motivated when you have to learn more when you have a test to study for. So. I probably would take it just because I didn't do a transplant residency, and I'm always craving more like guided knowledge. <laughs>
3: yeah. So
1: I think that's what those exams are definitely good for. Yeah. Um, I think I definitely see the money-making scheme in it, but sometimes <laughs> I think I would I would take it just because it would help me <laughs> help me to learn transplant better, um, and I feel like I can never learn enough about transplant. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, that's cool. Plus, you can never have enough letters after your name, also, I hear. Oh, gosh. So,
1: well, I, <laughs> they'd expire after like seven years or something. Oh, really? You don't yeah. take the exam again and you don't, or you don't pay the like reset fees.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, so
1: I could, I don't know.
2: Yeah, but you For probably me, would felt... you probably still put the letters after your name anyway. You know? Oh, no. You're <laughs> in big trouble. Right. Right.
1: No, they make you like, like, you can go on some website and look people up to see if they actually are.
0: Five. Oh really? Yeah, they sent me an email yeah. when I passed the VCPS. It was like some like electronic badge, like a sheriff badge minute. that Do you- I could like, that <laughs> <laughs> I could like post on me on social media, like prove that I was actually. So what I So you're telling
2: started. me that when I'm giving my talks, I can't put all those letters after my name? Are they can right? actually look it up. Yeah,
0: the people can look it oh, up. Oh <laughs> man, what have I been doing? Just eight lines of these letters. I <laughs> think yeah.
2: every certification.
0: For
1: I thought for me that. Um, two things for the board certification that the first one was I really wanted to be just Amcare and I felt like getting the BCACP would really show that that was like where I wanted to be in the setting I wanted to be in but also showed that even though I didn't do a second year residency I'm still motivated and like wanting to you know further my career. Um, so I think it does show a little bit more than just like the knowledge that you had the desire to actually go and do it. Um, but I could, but like I said, I also see like why you wouldn't want to take like 30 different exams and pay for those (laughs) research (laughs) fees all the time.
0: Well, I think it comes back to like, to what you said as far as self-awareness. Like I know for me personally, like I have, I don't need like the BCPS at all to do the job that i'm currently doing like that, that's not required right. i'm like the first like experiment that they've done as far as a clinical pharmacist so i really they didn't even know what the BCPS was when i told them that the mds and pas were like what <laughs> um so They're like okay yeah cool good for you dude <laughs> and, uh, so you know i didn't need that but um at the same time like you know, I knew that uh, I wanted to have as many doors open as possible and there are organizations or talking opportunities or, you know, whatever it could be, um, that would look at that and take that way more seriously, even if I think it's not really that relevant. Um, so I did it just kind of for that because I didn't want to close I, – I used to when I, before I was younger, and I was in school and all that. I used to just make fun of all that stuff because if I thought it was stupid, I wasn't going to do it. But then now it's kind of like, all right, if I have – like I I still make fun of it, but I'll do it and just make fun of myself for doing it. I think if we went to, back <laughs> to the first 10 episodes of the podcast, you probably made fun of people. That's for 10- true. <laughs> that's, probably, that's probably accurate. <laughs> but I, true,
1: but – if you are, if you know what works for you, and you kind of know like what direction you want to go in, it's nice. It's good to be humble, and it's good to be able to like see the humor in the situation. But also knowing that sometimes we didn't make the rules
0: of the yeah. game, you know. Exactly. No, so. nah, it's good, and then keeping those doors open because you never know. Like some letters after your name could uh, give you a. You know position that maybe you couldn't have got without them, whether or not you deserve it or not. Those letters may have been your foot in the door and then to prove yourself. so yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah uh, I, I'm I just have flipped my thinking on that that now and <laughs> definitely see the benefit of having it and what it at least could potentially open doors for you.
1: I uh, guess that would be like one one thing I didn't bring up too is that um, you know, just like a residency is and an then the end all be all. Um, just having like, sometimes just a lot showing like how motivated you are or how dedicated you are, how involved you are with patient care. You know, sometimes those things also stand out to people. I know a lot of people who just gotten jobs because they worked with someone and they really liked their work ethic and their viewpoints or something and brought them on to their team. So it's not always, you know, the letters behind your name or all the different trainings you did, sometimes it's just your ability to be a team player mm-hmm. and, sh- you know, work really hard or show that you're motivated and driven. So Yeah, yeah. it's about
2: who you know.
0: Absolutely. Definitely. And, I, I like, that's one of the reasons I always advocate for students actually using social media is because we have this first time in, you know, history, we have this amazing ability to network all the time from your couch yeah. with healthcare professionals and people are still being told to go ahead and delete your social media and go meet people at a conference. Um, <laughs> I just think, I think that's crazy. Like I, we, we've met so many healthcare professionals through, uh, we just submitted, we submitted a paper, um, to the annals of emergency medicine that my name's on because of people that, like emergency, uh, like clinical, um, uh, uh, um, oh my gosh I'm totally drawing a blank um, cri- <laughs> critical care sorry uh, specialty pharmacist that I met through Instagram uh, who runs a residency program out of Kansas and all that Brian Gilbert he's been on the uh, podcast yeah, a few times yeah he's
1: been on a
0: few times so like I, he, I jumped on a paper with him and helped help them um, you know with the uh, writing and editing portions and stuff and so like I would have never had that opportunity if it hadn't been for Instagram and yet we, don't, right. see, we don't see the value in uh you know, using some of these tools that we have, but it's definitely a big advocate for that for for students because you can realistically get in touch with just about anybody that you want in the medical world um, using social media now. Mm-hmm.
1: It's a little scary in some ways because it's you wonder. Um, you know, we, I remember I used to always say when Facebook first came out that social media isn't real life, but now it's almost you kind of wonder where that line is between your online presence and your offline presence.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and, (laughs) and I think, you know, I guess the way I look at it too, is it's whether or not I look like, like it from my personal standpoint, you know, it's not going anywhere, so I might as well use it to, from a career standpoint. Because, I mean, <laughs> like, I, I often do not take pictures of myself just doing things randomly to put on my own personal Facebook page. I think I've updated my picture, like, once in the last, he, like... He
2: prefers for me to take pictures of them and yeah,
0: post them. Yeah, but just, Cole, <laughs> take this real quick. <laughs> but, sure. but like, on the Core Console one, I post all the time because that's when I'm, the one I'm interacting with students and actually, like, moving my career along. Um, you know, that's, that's what uh, I think is the, the takeaway for a lot of healthcare professionals is, yeah, you don't have to have be your personal stuff out there, but you use it to network. And, you know, especially if you want to be involved in academia or like get involved with different groups or research projects or whatever, I think it's a huge opportunity that people are kind of sleeping on.
1: Yeah, no, it's, I think, um, it's, I guess social media is becoming more of a learning platform too, in some ways, kind of like with what you guys are doing with the, um, different charts and things that you post on instagram um because i think we you know that's the way that people can interact the i feel like we used to say this a lot in pharmacy school that um when people would watch the lectures and stuff online that they would miss that in-person interaction but i just don't think that that's just maybe not the way this generation is learning um that they can, they watch it, they'll process it, and then they can interact in a different way now. Like they can ask questions through social media.
3: Yeah,
0: so no, for sure.
3: get
1: that.
0: Well, I mean, I, we, we, we get messages from students almost daily, I feel like, mm-hmm. on Instagram. And I mean, <laughs> that would never happen if it wasn't for that platform because they're not going to come to South Carolina and meet me. <laughs> um, you know, so. Right. Yeah, I think you're 100% right. Like, And only you, so
2: many are going to email us too. They'd much rather just comment on a post or something.
0: Yeah. For sure. Right.
1: Maybe we're just intimidated to ask questions in person or mm-hmm. something
0: like that. Yeah, it definitely helps with that too, if you're shy to do you know, go up to someone randomly to butch. I I'm pretty much as extroverted as it could get. And I don't think that I would be at a conference and just be like walking around like, Hey, how's it going? Great to meet you. Here's my business card. Uh, you know, no. just like well, like this, th- I still wouldn't yeah, do that. Tell me what you think about diabetes. Yeah. So, what's your thoughts on You Should we exchange numbers? Like, he's like, no, weirdo, go away, go away from me. So, um, yeah, I think that, uh, yeah, I think it just makes it very easy to network, and you know, I, I'm ho, I'm hoping to like develop a bunch of these little like small case studies, if you will, so that I actually have like evidence to support this, because now people are like, prove it. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> just have a couple years of just my own personal data. <laughs> So I don't know. We'll see what there happens. There you go. In the next You're already years. starting
1: it out with the podcast.
0: Yeah. There you go. Trying to. But uh, so when are you going to start your transplant podcast?
1: <laughs> oh man, I'm going to have to get nice microphones like yours.
0: <laughs> you we'll, do. That's the first step. We'll send, you the, we'll send you the links. <laughs> it's
1: a, I mean, it's just been amazing to me how many people I've met and all the different um, settings of transplant. So it just it was like an unknown world to me. Um, I was so used to with like oncology. I think you're kind of prepared for the worst and this is such a cool and unique opportunity to provide a different outcome for people. Sure. Um, so I, it's just, I don't think we advocate for it a lot or hear a lot about it. So it was really cool to kind of step into that world and see all the opportunity that's out there.
2: Yeah. Well now millions and millions and millions of people are going to hear your story. Millions and millions, millions and millions.
0: <laughs> like, I, <laughs> well, we round it up.
3: They're <laughs>
1: so gonna be like, wasn't Holly Berry in Catwoman? Yeah, right. what's she doing in lung
0: transplant? Yeah, <laughs> how how many times do you hear path. that joke? Like, is that like a common thing since you were little that you've yeah, come up with?
1: It, it was. I think she became famous right around I was like finishing or starting middle school, and she was married to David Justice, so I remember thinking when I was younger, everyone used to always say, oh, your name is so cute, and I didn't really put it together, but then when she got famous, it became just terrifying when they would do roll call yeah. in <laughs> and all of the guys would be like, where's Holly Berry? <laughs> and I would just so, be
3: like,
1: <laughs> yeah, I was like really terrified for roll call every year the first day of school was just like here we go that's um,
3: fine
1: but i would say if like i wait for it now like when you go to check out and someone looks at your card and they're like holly berry and I, the question i always get now is that your real name
0: no really no i legally yeah. changed it <laughs> she's I put my it on all of
1: my credit cards <laughs> and on my license
0: And that's, that's that's a pretty common name, last name and first name. So it's the fact that people would actually question whether or not I'm just a super fan. So (laughs) it's not a big deal.
1: That's just, that's just been like a recent development. It's been like, is that your real name? That's fine.
0: Like, yeah. mm-hmm. you, yep. should, you should just tell him no and just walk away. Yeah, just just leave him in suspense. <laughs> no, 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 no it's my not. alias. Credit card. Yeah. I'm a spy, and just leave. <laughs> that would actually be really funny, oh. and then put it on Instagram. <laughs> you get a lot yeah. of likes doing that Do it for the gram. <laughs> Well, Holly, we definitely appreciate you coming on and chit-chatting with us and stuff and sharing a little bit about your story. Um, y- is it cool if I include, like, your uh, Instagram handle uh, on Inst- when we advertise for this cool. podcast and stuff like yeah. that? Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah, sure. I'll, I'll put that. If people have questions for you, they can, you know, send you a direct message or whatever. We like
2: to ask you questions yeah. while we're live so
0: you can't say no. Yeah. So Yeah. <laughs>
1: No, so, I prefer you don't. Soon as <laughs> yeah,
0: soon as we stop recording, she's gonna be like, Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> no.
1: I'll put my handle you guys on there. Thanks so much for letting me come on and ramble. No, that was super fun.
0: No, it was awesome. It was, it's, it's, you know, as much as we joke and stuff, that's super impressive you had done all that stuff. So, um, you know, much kudos to you for knocking out like six professions you know in the matter of a couple of years <laughs> so i I'm, I'm excited to hear about when you take on uh like infectious disease or something next and you're just working in that space gosh
1: yeah. i have i have to read about antifungal medications every
0: day <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's awesome well um we appreciate it we will i'm sure see you around and have you on again and uh and if you ever get like a crazy you know transplant case or yeah. anything you want to go through let us know and we'll have you back on you know anytime sure. anytime you want do
1: something a little bit more pharmacy no <laughs> this based. is good
0: i mean but getting started and kind of seeing the options i think is we have a lot of students that listen so i think that's huge and for the people who aren't students that want to change their career like there you go it's possible <laughs> oncology yep. to transplant like nothing <laughs> <laughs> it's,
1: yeah it's a little nerve-wracking uh, but it is doable
0: that's awesome. Well, I appreciate your time, and we'll will, we will catch you around. Um thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, if you guys have any questions, comments, concerns, feedback at all, um, feel free to send us an email. Um, both of our email addresses will be in the show notes and, uh, yeah, feel free to reach out to us on social media. Um, if you guys do like the podcast, hit us with a subscribe, uh, or, you know, leave us a comment. Um, unless your comments are mean, then save them. But, uh, (laughs) thank you guys so much for listening and we will catch you next time. See ya.